Hey, listeners, we're planning something special and we need your help. We want to hear from you. Please leave us a 10 to 30 second voice note about your favorite episode, karyotid, or any lady in the profession who inspires your career and life. To do this, please go to our show notes linked in the description of this episode. Scroll to the bottom and follow the link and instructions to leave your note for us. You might hear yourself on a future episode. Stay tuned. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. So shout out to our Midwest listeners out there. You know who else is a Midwest person? Lizzie Rar. That's right. Midwest is best, guys. You just know it. You know it. Hey there, and welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season is a wild card season where we can talk about any lady we want. Yeah. On today's episode, we will talk about Ruth Shellhorn, a landscape architect who helped design Disneyland. I'm Lizzie Rahr, going to see the new Black Panther movie tonight in San Francisco, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Jessica and Nurjiti. I'm Nurjiti Rivas, dog sitting in Houston, Texas. And I'm Jessica Rogers, about to get a new avocado plant based out of Miami, Florida. It's time for our disclaimer. The three of us are passionate about what we're doing, but we are not experts on the subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us, leave us a comment, and we will all continue learning. Okay, ladies. I have a feeling this is going to be another overachieving lady. I read that Ruth worked on some 400 different design projects during her career. <laughs> Love it. I can't wait to learn some of these 400 projects. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so Ruth Patricia Shellhorn was born on September 21st, 1909 in Los Angeles, California. Her parents were Arthur L. Shellhorn, a dentist, and Lodema Gould Shellhorn. The couple had moved to California from Nebraska in 1904, and the family moved to Pasadena when Ruth was two. Her parents encouraged her to pursue a career. Love it even more. Yeah. Okay, can we talk about how progressive that this was for the time? I mean, hello. I think that might be a first for in our show for this time period. It also makes me wonder if they had thoughts about what her career eventually would become because we also have seen how parents discouraged their daughters to go into this industry. Yeah, for sure. Mm. All right, ladies. 
I don't know if you remember way back when we talked about Beatrix Ferrand in episode six. We mentioned another female landscape architect named Florence Yock, who was a big deal in California. Not really. I don't remember. I vaguely remember talking about Florence, but when we talked about Beatrix, we also mentioned Mariama, but I don't know. This is all season one stuff. We are in season seven. We might need a refresher. <laughs> yeah, we need like Shebo's podcast homework. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe we should have warned you that <laughs> you should refresh yourself. Yeah. But, well, we definitely need to do an episode on Florence at some point. It's on a list somewhere, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But we have many lists of people. But anyway, Florence Yock was actually Ruth's neighbor, and uh-huh. she was a big influence in her career choice. Ruth got career advice from Florence and liked the idea of a job where she could spend a lot of time outside. So by the time she was 15, she had decided that she would become a landscape architect. I always think it's interesting how folks get their inspiration or who might have impacted someone's career. Love it. Ooh, okay. And also, officially, future episode alert on Florence Yock. That's right. At some Mm. point. (laughs) So after high school... Ruth went to Oregon State University School of Landscape Architecture in 1927. She did really well at school and she was recognized with several awards while she was there. She won the Alpha Zeta Scholarship Cup for having the highest grades in the School of Agriculture, the Clara Waldo Prize for Outstanding Freshman Woman, and a national award in a Beaux-Arts Design Competition. You go, woman! Get it! Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's killing it in Oregon, but she decides she wants to up her game. And so she transfers to Cornell's College of Architecture in 1930, where she studied design, engineering, regional planning and horticulture. Not surprisingly, she continues to kill it over there, winning the Charles Goodwin Sands Memorial Medal for most outstanding design in a collaborative senior project. Okay, let's do a recap. Landscape architecture agriculture, architecture, engineering, planning, horticulture, just <laughs> a humble amount of things, you know? You know, just a, just a casual smattering. <laughs> <laughs> and then on top of that, winning awards all over the place. Yep, yeah. all of it. Uh, no doubt. Um, Lizzie, you said that she was an overachiever and you weren't kidding. Like from jump. You know, no. I, I'm... I'm <laughs> I aim to please, you know. (laughs) Well, as we all know too well, architecture school is real expensive. Mm. Mm. But this was also during the peak of the Depression. So unfortunately, during her last year of school, Ruth ran out of money and she couldn't afford to keep studying. Mm. She left school in 1933 and she only had four credits left to graduate. (gasps) that is heartbreaking that is heartbreaking all of those awards and none of them came with scholarship money Mm. you know what's also heartbreaking about this is that you know that school probably cost like i don't know like ten dollars because that's (laughs) like a loaf of bread was 10 cents i don't know it's just it's sad because education was still unattainable even if it was like 10 cents or something it also makes me wonder if, what would have happened if they had student loan programs. I don't know. This also brings to mind like just current conversations that we have in the U.S. regarding student loan forgiveness. But anyway, times must have been really tough for Ruth for her not to continue. And 
for her to be so close to finishing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have a feeling that this wouldn't keep her down, though. It's too early in the episode. <laughs> yeah, we still have like 20 minutes to kill at least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> OK, so she has left school, but she still has to figure out how to get back to California from New York. Right. Mm. She ends up taking a mail boat which I'm assuming was like cheaper. You know, that's one of the reasons she chose it, I'm assuming. But she traveled through the Panama Canal on this boat to get home. How cool is that? (laughs) Um, what? (laughs) Are we even allowed to get on a mail boat? If we're not part of the U.S. Postal Service? Like, like, I would not have guessed that was an option. Maybe she was an honorary employee. Or she snuck in? Of course. Yes. I don't know. Maybe she was in the storage part. I don't know. I thought ox cart was the strangest way to travel on this show, but this feels <laughs> up there. This is this is a contender for sure. Yeah. Okay. It, I mean, the vehicle vessel traveling short, but this is we're talking beyond scenic route. Like, think <laughs> tell of, me like, about it, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Talk about really like. I don't know. What's it called when you go like a way to go back? Roundabout? Roundabout. Roundabout. Yes. <laughs> roundabout. It's like beyond round. It's a lot. Like, I just. Yeah. I know. <laughs> well, because of this trip, she got exposed to tons of exotic plants that she never would have come across otherwise. So she took meticulous notes of the plants that she saw and she was able to use the new information in her future career. Glad this adventure worked out. I know. <laughs> no, Jiddy. This to me sounds more like a plant venture. <laughs> Sorry, oh, those are nice. <laughs> plant venture. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's right. right there. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> All right. Well, she makes it back to California and she's living at home while she's looking for work. And of course, during the Depression, there's not much opportunity for landscape architect services. And she was able to display some of her landscape drawings at a local home furnishing store. And then she got her first job and she worked with a local architect and interior designer on nine residences in Whittier, California. She earned twenty five dollars for her work. Okay, I know it's the Depression, but that still seems kind of low. Yeah. Yeah. And I would be interested to see how this compared to any male counterparts. Mm-hmm. But I would like to acknowledge just the beauty or maybe like the positive outcome it was that Ruth was able to display her work and then found a job this way. Yeah. Luckily, she was able to work on several private garden commissions, which helped her grow her firm and got her referred to wealthier clients with estates in Bel Air and Pasadena. She also worked a bit with Florence Yock her old neighbor, and mm-hmm. Ralph Cornell when jobs were scarce. Okay, yes. I, f- I forgot to mention this earlier, but, you know, I don't know much about California, but the names like Whittier, Bel Air, it all sounds bougie to me. So go right <laughs> Um, I like the idea of collaboration with other designers when times get tough, so it's cool. I agree. It's about collaboration, not competition. Mm. I wish we had more of this in our profession. I know that we're competing for clients and projects, but there's always a chance to help each other out to succeed, too. For sure. On November 21st, 1940, she married Harry Cuser. 
He was originally from St. Louis and worked in banking. He was 42 and she was 31. He was very supportive of her career and didn't expect her to give that up after they were married. Harry seems like good people to me. Sure <laughs> does. Sure does. Okay, there are so many things that jump out to me. Like the age difference, the fact that he's a banker, he's from the Midwest. I, I don't know what this is telling me, but I, I just wonder if this had anything to do with how supportive he was. Do you think men that are 11 years older are more supportive or people from the Midwest or bankers? <laughs> what, what are you saying? There are so many things. <laughs> My first thought was maybe since he was older, he wouldn't be as supportive because maybe he thought like of the more traditional roles for a wife. But maybe he was a bank since he was a banker. He thought financially it's better that both partners worked in the household. I don't know. Maybe folks from St. Louis thought differently than the rest of the country. So I don't know. Just so many things. So many different scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> This is such a kid. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, actually, five years later, Harry ends up leaving his job in banking to join Ruth's firm. What? He didn't have a design background at all, but he took over all of the finance and the business side of things so that she could focus on design. Mm. And later, they would end up hiring their own construction crew to work their jobs he learned Spanish to be able to work on site with the crew. He also took drafting classes to be able to help her out and helped with mm. field surveying, oversaw job installations. She credits him with being such a help for her career to become so big. Mm. I knew I had a good feeling about Harry. Right? That is so cute. I love I all of it. <laughs> also, this could have been in our partnership season, but I love it. He learned Spanish. You're right. It could have been. I didn't even so really cute. think about it that way. But like, because I didn't, you know, when I first read about her, that wasn't how it was advertised. And when I discovered this, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, so that guy went above and beyond. Yeah. Talk about a supportive he just, I love partner. that he believed in her so right. much and saw like how... Yeah, who, how, I guess in some ways, like how lucrative it could be, you know, and like mm. those Midwesterners show are, are supportive. They know. <laughs> they show are friendly. Best. <laughs> That's right. Well, once World War II began, landscape jobs were kind of scarce. So Ruth was hired to work full time on the shoreline development study to design parks, trails, and parking lots along 11 miles of coastline. The project was funded by the Greater Los Angeles Citizens Committee, which was a private group of businessmen. Ooh, I wonder if Harry was the key in this. Like if he was able to provide that connection. I don't know. I like it. Who knows? It probably didn't hurt. Yeah. Also, 11 miles of coastline. This is <laughs> a really big project with a lot of scope. I am mm -hmm. really excited to see what she did with it. Well, she spent two years on the project, and it also connected her with Welton Beckett, who was the architect on the project. He had been hired to design a new department store called Bullocks in Pasadena, and so he brought Ruth on board to the project to design the landscape of it in 1945. Ruth, working hard and working her connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I never would have thought that a department store would need landscaping. 
Or at least, I don't know. But it's still cool. Also, they never make just one department store. So I could see. That's right. I could, yeah. I could see how we are getting up to those 400 projects now that you mentioned in the beginning, Lucy. <laughs> Franchise. Franchise. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. So this store was one of the first regional shopping centers that was designed with the car in mind. And Ruth did such a great job with the landscape design. It felt lush and inviting in the areas around the store and the parking lot. The design was modern and it evoked a sun-soaked leisurely lifestyle, which became the Southern California look. Bullocks loved the work she did and hired her to work on many of their future stores. She worked on nine in total. OMG, she created a look of sun-soaked leisurely lifestyle, no less? There you go. Ruth understood that the shopper's experience started as soon as they drove onto the site. So the parking areas had bright colored planting and lots of trees. A few of the projects had different architects designing each of the different stores. So her goal was to create cohesion between all the different designs as it transitioned from one building to the other. She created courtyards and other spaces for leisure during shopping. The store was closed on Sundays, but apparently people would still come on Sundays just to use the outdoor spaces that she had designed. Whoa. Talk about a successful project. People just want to hang out there. Right? I love it. Well, in 1955, Ruth got a call from a guy who had heard about her from Welton Beckett and wanted her to work on his amusement park. And she told him, I'm sorry, I don't do amusement parks. Girl, what? (laughs) Well, at least she knows what she does and what she doesn't want to do. I wonder if she denied this project because she was just too busy. Maybe, Maybe, but I think also she just kind of, she was like, what do you mean? You know, like. (laughs) What is that? Uh, Or maybe it was too small. She was like, or Or just kind of like odd. I don't know. But the man was Walt Disney. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Oh, snap. Yep. And so he wanted her to join his team of architects and landscape architects to help in the final push for opening day of Disneyland four months later. Mm. Say what? I know. (laughs) Four months? That's all? I think that's also part of the reason she said no at first, Mm because she was like, listen, sir. (laughs) No. Clients are ridiculous sometimes. Yeah, but Walt Disney. I mean, yeah. I mean, she didn't know. Well, I don't. I do want to know how this phone call went. Like, I want to be on the other, just hearing her be like, four months, you crazy? (laughs) What kind of name is Walt Disney? I don't know. Um, I will say, okay, so this year in 2020, I saw a documentary on Walt Disney World, and I don't think they mentioned Ruth's name. But anyways, neither here or there. I mean, what are they going to mention? That she rejected Walt Disney? (laughs) Yeah. Or I don't know. It's just. Yeah, but was it Disney World or Disneyland? Yeah. So this was the one in Orlando that they talked about. Okay. Uh, So we're talking about the one in in LA. Yeah. Or California. In Anaheim. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just feel like it should have been worth mentioning, but maybe I'm just biased that they don't really talk about. Like a funny anecdote? Yeah. Or they mentioned a lot of. But Disneyland that they're the, the yeah, or Disney just talk about the people, about? yeah, or okay. just like the people. I don't know. <laughs> all right, all right. Who weren't involved at all, <laughs> or that got approached but denied them? I don't know. <laughs> well, 
Anyway, okay, so here's a quote from Ruth. She said, I was sort of thinking it was going to be some honky tonk like Venice or something. (laughs) When she says Venice, too, she means Venice Beach in L.A. Okay, I was like, not Venice, Italy, to clarify. (laughs) I thought she meant like something like uh, Las Vegas, like uh, what's that called? Right, Uh, like the Venetian. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. so anyway, so she said, yeah, I think. I thought it was going to be a honky tonk like Venice or something. And I wasn't too sure I wanted to do it. But he was so enthusiastic and it was infectious. So she agreed to meet with him in Anaheim. And once she did, she signed on to the project. I am dead. Like she said, it was going to be some honky tonk like Venice. Like, (laughs) kills me. Well, she didn't know. I mean, it it probably didn't. That's the thing. I feel like if you're a landscape architect and someone calls you up and says amusement park in the 50s, like, who knows? You know? Yeah. Who knows? I bet you it didn't sound super legit. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm glad that she gave him a chance. And now we can be a little suspicious about her not getting mentioned in a documentary, even though Mm -hmm. it's mostly focused on Orlando. Yes. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I don't think she worked on Disney World in Orlando. Just yeah. Disneyland in Anaheim. Fine. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's fine. So anyway, there's already two landscape architects on the project. OK, Jack and Bill Evans. But there's still a lot of work to be done. So at that point, they had five lands, quote unquote, which each had different art directors working on them. There was Frontierland, Fantasyland, Tomorrowland, Adventureland and Main Street. But there was still no design of how to connect them all together with pedestrian walkways. So Ruth started working on the pedestrian plan and designing the experience for visitors. Yes. Okay. Now I remember this part of the documentary because it was also a same design problem for Orlando. So I don't, it was just so fascinating as a designer. This part of the parks was like, I don't know, just how do you come up with a solution to do all those things? Because they all have their own different design aesthetics. I don't know. It's the most magical place on earth. I love it. <laughs> I really like that she was focusing on the cohesive experience of the visitors. I'm actually really glad that she said yes. Yeah. Imagine what the experience would have been without her. Mm. Right? Like a honky-tonk Venice. <laughs> <laughs> a honky-tonk Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so similar to her work at Bullock's, she was able to create a cohesive feeling between all different parts of the park, but also allow them to be distinct. She created islands of plantings and used tons of full-grown trees of various species to differentiate and tie together the different spaces of the park. She also worked on making Sleeping Beauty's castle more prominent and featured through changing the grading around the building. Yes. Okay, I'm going to keep talking about this documentary, even though now (laughs) I realize that we're talking in the documentary, they're talking about Orlando's Disney World. But I don't they still have like similar approaches. Because in that documentary, I do remember how they talked about just landscaping and how they used landscaping to create these experiences. The fact that in Disney World, they had all of these different landscaping from all different parts of the world to make it appear that everyone would be able to relate to this environment. Very cool. Yeah, exactly. So she planned out. Town Square, Main Street, and the Plaza Hub, which give the small town vibe that Walt was looking for. 
So without her designs, the park wouldn't have had that same magical cohesion that it does today. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, honky tonk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, no shade to the Evans. I'm sure that they were going to do something really great, but they were just missing that Ruth part of the puzzle. Yeah. Amen. And also, who knew that Disneyland would be added to our ARC Venture list? Right? I was like, oh, I've actually been to this one. (laughs) Yeah. So in 1956, Ruth was chosen to be the supervising and executive landscape architect for the University of California at Riverside, which had just opened. The campus was expanding and she was in charge of site design, new landscaping, designing roads, walkways, lighting and utilities. That sounds like a lot. Mm -hmm. Totally. But do you think that's like the normal scope of work for landscape architects? I mean, it sounds like it might be. Yeah. I mean, I just I wouldn't have thought utilities would be on that list. I don't know. Hmm, That's true. Maybe that's getting into civil territory. Yeah, but I also don't know much about the field, and I don't know how big the firm was. It just seems like a lot to oversee. That's true. This sounds like a lot for one person, though, to be in charge of the whole campus, plus all the Disneyland stuff. I hope that she had employees. Did she, Lizzie? I actually don't know if she did. That's a good question. Man. It kind of sounds like from what I was reading about with her and her husband, like it sounds like maybe they did have employees later, but I don't actually know for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Disneyland was kind of a short because, you know, it was like four months till opening and stuff like that. And I think maybe she'd helped with maintaining, but it wasn't like um, I don't think it was super ongoing. Mm-hmm. I see. But That's but yes, it's still a lot for one person, one firm. I agree. And I don't know. Yeah. The utilities stuff like. Maybe it's just being more aware of it or planning out where they're going to go in relation to your landscape elements. It's hmm. a lot. But the site of the campus had a bunch of arroyos throughout, which are dry riverbeds, and they had trees and planting growing within them. Ruth called them rivers of green. The university wanted to fill in the arroyos and put parking lots and other infrastructure in. But Ruth really wanted to preserve them. OK, thank goodness for Ruth. They cannot take away the rivers of green. Mm. Where are the leprechauns going to go? <laughs> um, no, Jenny, I thought leprechauns lived at the end of rainbows. But I imagine them bathing at rivers of green, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, so you're what? like, don't take away their bathing facilities. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's their playground. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the campus architect agreed with her also and didn't want to take away the leprechauns bathing facilities. So the two of them lobbied to save the arroyos and eventually they won. And the arroyos have become an integral part of the campus design. Look at that. Preserving stuff and whatnot. Beautiful. Great advocacy and teamwork. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Do either of you know anything about Riverside and the weather? No and no. All I know about Riverside is that Marissa's mom, Julie Cooper, on the OC is from Riverside, but they never showed it on the show. (laughs) (laughs) So I've never seen it. (sighs) Okay, well, it gets really hot, like triple digits in the summer. And then sometimes it can hit freezing temps in winter. So 
Ruth created a variety of planting on the campus so that there were big deciduous trees for shading in the summer, but there are also cacti and succulent gardens which don't require much water or maintenance. Hmm. Ruth, so ahead of her time. She is so good. I mean, that sounds like such a treacherous weather for those plants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jessica knows how temperamental they can be, those plants. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm glad that Ruth figured it out. Yes, I'm glad she did because I just have to worry about my house plants. Yeah. She's doing all the kinds of She has her. weather to deal with. Weather. Well, I've had plants close to the windows that have suffered. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. but hers, I mean, these are my plants. The only people seeing it is me. Right, right. So, well, Ruth so and the architect different. worked on designing really interesting covered walkways around the campus to create interest, shade, and different levels of scale. She also created smaller courtyards so that there were more intimate spaces for people to gather. This sounds lovely. Another art venture. In the meantime, will there be pictures on the show notes? Yes, I will include photos. Yay! So when it came to the arroyos specifically, Ruth maintained the natural elements and created bridges and walkways through them so that they could be enjoyed by users of the campus. In a lot of ways, the things that Ruth was doing are things that today we talk about a lot when we talk about just sustainable landscape design. She knew that with a campus this big, it would need to require less water for the plantings. And by saving naturally occurring landscape elements, they would require less maintenance as well. Love it. So smart. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Ruth was also the executive landscape architect for other schools, such as Marlboro School for Girls from 1968 to 1993, El Camino College from 1970 to 1978, and Harvard Westlake School from 1974 to 1990. She would also design the landscaping for a few other retail and commercial sites and worked on hundreds of residential gardens. She and Harry often worked six days a week and didn't take many vacations. In 1971, she was made a fellow of the American Society of Landscape Architects. Mm. Talk about dedication. I'm happy that she was so passionate about her work, but someone needs to bring up work-life balance into the conversation with her. Yeah, I know what you Mm -hmm. mean. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So when you look at Ruth's work, there isn't necessarily a particular style that she used in all of her projects. She believed that a landscape architect's role was to address the client's needs while also respecting the existing landscape and the architecture of the site. This makes perfect sense, and I'm sure many landscape designers would agree. Sounds just right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She retired in 1990 after 57 years of work and a pretty impressive residential client list like Spencer Tracy and Barbara Stanwyck. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, so listeners, these are all old, famous Hollywood actors. Yeah. Spencer Tracy was in Father of the Bride which I'm assuming is the original one from 1950. Yes. Not the one that came out recently with Gloria Stefan and not the one with Steve Martin that came out in the 90s. So, <laughs> Yeah, and Barbara was the real deal too. She started over 80 movies and then did television. She had a really long career. We should go watch a movie of hers after this. Mm. It would be fitting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she convinced Warner Bros. to buy the rights to The Fountainhead Oh, so there you go. There you go. There you go. It it relates to architecture. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, sadly, in 1991, Harry passed away. They never had any children and their projects were their legacy. Mm. A huge legacy. Yeah. Amazing body of work. Really inspiring how they supported each other and all that they achieved. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so remember how Ruth had to leave Cornell four credits short of graduating way back at the beginning of the episode? Of course. I mean, how could we forget? Yeah. Mm hmm. Okay. In 2005, they were reviewing the department's records and they realized that she actually had completed enough credits to earn two degrees. So in June of 2005, she was granted her Bachelor of Landscape Architecture and her Bachelor of Architecture. Two degrees? There she goes again, overachieving without her even knowing it. <laughs> like, she, you know, just like, I know. Living her life and then bam, two degrees. But right can there. you believe that? Like, they miscalculated? No. That's a big miss. <laughs> That's a big miss. I just, like, I don't know. Well, I'm glad someone noticed and she was able to get her degrees in her lifetime because she earned mm -hmm. them and then some. I know. <laughs> Honestly, I thought Lizzie was going to say something like Ruth was gifted like an honorary degree or some crap like that after Me all too. the work that she's done. Yeah. But uh, she legit earned not one, but two degrees. Yeah. I, I also thought that that's where Lizzie was going. So I'm really glad that it turned out that. She gave us a really pleasant surprise. That's right. Yes. I, mm -hmm. It was a twist. I saved you. I saved the twist for the end for you guys. <laughs> Good job. An overachieving twist. Like <laughs> at the end, too. It's yeah. funny. In the same year, 2005, Ruth donated all her papers and drawings to the UCLA Library Special Collections. She passed away on November 3rd, 2006 at 97 years old. It's like she lived two lifetimes. Mm. And also, yay, I'm always happy when someone sends their work to a library or like, you know, documentation. I know. I love to see it. Yes. And they gave her her degrees just in time. Yes. What a great life and story. Yes. You know, I wonder if she hadn't received that degree or those degrees, if she would have felt regretful. But anyway, I'm glad she doesn't have to worry about that because she was alive to know that she finished that too. That's right. Now, a quick break to hear from our sponsors. That's right. We have sponsors. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Travel by Design, an original podcast from Marriott Bonvoy Traveler. It's hosted by architectural critic Hamish Kilburn. On each episode, Hamish talks with the creative mind behind a one-of-a-kind hotel and asks them what inspired the design, how they implemented it, and what it's like as a guest in the hotel. That's such a neat idea for a show to go behind the scenes with the people responsible for different aspects of the design. It's like a new level of the travel experience. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Well... I listened to the episode called Nova Scotia Experience Maritime Design at Muir Halifax. The hotel is located in Halifax, which is the capital of Nova Scotia, and it overlooks the ocean. I thought it was really interesting to hear how they tried to maximize the ocean views and really make that a focus of the hotel's design. 
Yes. I like how that episode starts by really painting a picture of where they are, like the site, mm-hmm. the culture and the history behind the space, because that was central to the design. Like you just said, like when yeah. the episode mm-hmm. starts, you hear waves and sea breeze <laughs> and seagulls. At least I think they're seagulls. And then <laughs> and then. Hamish and his guest describe the fog, the weather, the colors. You feel a hundred percent there. At least I did. Yes, for yes. sure. <laughs> Definitely. And another thing I found super interesting is that every room in the hotel has an original piece of artwork in it. And the artwork subject is pretty much all focused on highlighting the ocean and the surrounding landscape again. But I just love that they went out of their way to find artists and create these one of a kind pieces in every space. And also, apparently, Halifax is some pop and art community that I had no idea about. Like, (laughs) yeah, totally search for travel by design in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. So thank you to Travel by Design for their support. All right, back to our show. Well, before we leave you, we have to tell you who our karyotid is for this week's episode. Jessica, can you remind us what a karyotid is? You bet your honky tonk. Venice I can. (laughs) (laughs) All right. No offense to the people at Venice. A karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. Each episode, we will choose a karyotid or a woman who is working together, furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. All right. Without further ado, this week's karyotid is... (laughs) Barbara Booza! Yay! Barbara! Yeah. Okay. So Barbara is an architect and she's the new president of Walt Disney Imagineering. She has a bachelor's of architecture from Cal Poly Pomona, and she did her graduate studies at the AA in London. She's worked at many firms over the years, including Foster and Partners, RBB, Morphosis and Gensler LA, where she eventually became the co-managing director and principal. Man, Barbara Booza? You're all over the cool map. Right? I am so happy we're talking about Barbara. She is already amazing. But yes, Lizzie, please tell us her work at Walt Disney. Yeah. Because we all want to know. Well, Barbara has always been a big promoter of well-being. And apparently that's one of the reasons that Disney reached out to her. So she and the Imagineers are exploring ways to allow guests to decompress or experience a less stimulating environment while maintaining Disney quality and storytelling in the space. The mental well-being initiatives stretch beyond the parks to include the Imagineers themselves. Barbara said about her colleagues, an area I want to focus on is how we can support each other better. We're in this for the long haul and we're creating this environment where well-being and health are at the center of everything everybody does. It also sounds that she's aiming to make the parks more inclusive Mm. in experience that people with different needs and sensitivities can enjoy. And I think that's really great. Yeah, it is. I love learning about her work. Yeah. So cool. Jessica and I were lucky enough to see her speak at the Powerful Nine conference in L.A. in October. She was so great. And it was really inspiring to see what she's planning at Disney. Oh, that's so neat. 
I am 99%. No, wait, what? Oh, no, I'm 100% proud that you guys had the opportunity to go and learn from all these powerful ladies. And I'm also jealous that I couldn't join, but mm. it's okay. That's right. I'm mm. really excited to keep following Barbara and her imagineering work. Yes, I wish you could have been there. It, and, you know, I had actually met Barbara before the LA conference. But it's the more that I learn about her, the harder it is not to be a fangirl and scream. Like, <laughs> I just love that she's an architect. She talks about all these cool things. She gets to travel the world. You know, I want to be just like Barbara. Yes. She is doing it up. Doing it up. You go, Barbara. That's right. <laughs> okay. Before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, to John W., our technical producer, and most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Ruth and Barbara along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, and Gable Media is all about building a better world together. If this sounds right up your alley, which it probably does, listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your literal neighbors, your mentors, your mentees, your landscape architects, your supportive partners, your bankers, your Midwesterners. Tell them to give us five stars on iTunes. Tell them to write us a review. And this will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Ta-ta for now. I wish Disneyland or Disney World wasn't so expansive. Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. <laughs> We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. 
Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender.